Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Penscast on the Hockey Podcast Network presented by DraftKings. Happy to have you. This is a Tuesday episode, not a Monday episode. It is Tuesday, May 30th. Yesterday was Memorial Day. Was not around to make an episode. Even if I was around, probably wasn't going to make an episode on Memorial Day. It's time to relax, enjoy the weekend, and remember those who fought for this country. That's what Memorial Day is for. Not making podcasts about the same thing I talked about last week. Because little has changed since last week. There have been some developments in the GM search, in the Kyle Dubas saga and whatnot. And we're going to get into that. Similarly to the way we did last week, where we go chronologically through the week and talk about what had happened, what are the new developments, is there any new developments, there are, and kind of how some outside things are going to be affecting this search and where we get to. So right after uh, last week's episode, early Tuesday, Pierre Lebrun from TSN and The Athletic reports that Eric Tolsky is officially out of the uh, Penguins GM search didn't provide much context as to why I've talked at nauseum about how he was probably my top choice um, as a GM. My idea was I wanted him as GM and Dubas as president and there wasn't much given to why he was outed. I don't know if it was Tulsi's decision, if he wanted to stay with Carolina, if he wanted to explore other GM um, openings, which at the time I believe was the only other one was Toronto, like it is right now, because I think at that time, uh, Calgary had already hired Craig Conroy. So, kind of disappointing that Garrett Tolsky was out. He's a very, very smart guy, a very hot commodity on the general manager market. And right after last episode, we learned he was no longer in the running. And uh, LeBron reported that it seemed like it was down to Kyle Dubas, uh, former general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Matthew Darsh, longtime assistant general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Later, um, I believe this report came out Wednesday morning, but it's in reference to something that occurred on Tuesday night. A report from Taylor Haas of the uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports. She was the first to report that Kyle Dubas met with Sidney Crosby and other you know, high-ranking Penguins. I don't know if they were players necessarily or just members of the organization, but that Dubas met with them at the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex in Cranberry on Tuesday night. Um, obviously, that's a huge development, and it was later confirmed by other insiders. I remember Elliot Friedman mentioned it on Hockey Night in Canada. So definitely a thing that happened, um, and that's significant. You don't go out of your way to come all the way down here to meet with these guys if you're not very seriously considering the job. And I'm not sure if he flew down. He probably flew down. I'm assuming he still lives in Toronto right now until he figures out what his next move is. But interesting that it's the Cranberry um, complex because a lot of Penguins uh, players and members of, of you know high rank there live north of the city and live in that general region, the Sewickley area. And it's easy for all of them to get to Cranberry. So wonder if anything else happened other than just Dubis meeting these guys at the complex. I wonder if uh, maybe Crosby or someone had him over and was talking. I'm sure that Sidney Crosby would like a guy like Dubis because 
Dubis has been operating under the thumb of Brendan Shanahan for all these years. We talked about that a lot last episode. And Sidney Crosby is the kind of guy who does like to have some input and say in things. But obviously, he's not going to be micromanaging this team. He's still just a player. Yes, he's he's the captain. He's been here a very long time. He's one of the most influential hockey players in the world ever. But I don't see Sidney Crosby you know, micromanaging or getting a ton of say in things. I saw someone um, on Twitter just a little bit ago before I started recording was concerned that Dubis would uh, just, you know, not have full autonomy because of Sidney Crosby. I don't believe that would be the case whatsoever. I believe Kyle Dubis has been offered full autonomy as, you know, I don't know if the title would be president and general manager or general manager. I'm not sure, but I think the only thing that the may that of people that aren't Dubis may have a veto card on is trading one of the big three or moving off of them. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit here, but that's not a part of the plan. There's no rebuild happening right now. If Dubis is being brought in, he's being brought into a different situation than when he was brought in in Toronto. In Toronto, he had a very bad team that was very bad on purpose and wanted to rebuild tank a little bit to get Austin Matthews and they did and build up through prospects and development this he's being thrown into a team that is in the complete opposite end of that spectrum that is on their way down and they're trying to extend their shelf life as much as possible it's a very unique situation there's a lot of cap constraints that Dubas is going to need to navigate around not as much as the big guys I think the big guys are all being paid honestly less than what they should be getting but guys like Jeff Carter, Granlund, Petrie, all are guys who he's either going to need to figure out a way to get out of those contracts or work within the confines of that they're making that money and we need to get as much value out of cheaper players as possible going into this offseason. He's going to need to find those diamonds in the rough. That was off topic. I wanted to go through this chronologically. Let's do this first. I think it was Tuesday as well that this report came out saying that Mike Sullivan wants Fenway Sports Group and whoever is the new general manager president to invest in winning at the AHL level. And that was a big kind of say to me that he was probably pulling for Dubas to get this job because that's one thing that Kyle Dubas kind of reinvented within the Toronto Maple Leafs organization that wasn't there before him is that he wanted all of the teams within the organization from the E I'm sorry, the ECHL up. So it was the uh, Newfoundland growlers and then the uh, Toronto Marlies at the AHL level, the Marlies and the growlers, the ECHL level. He invested a lot of um, money and resources into making sure that those are good developmental teams and that they can win because you don't want your players who are going to graduate to the NHL to not have experienced professional winning in the past. Dubis did it so much that whenever he was actually the um, AGM, I believe, of the of the Leafs, he was also the general manager of the Marlies at that time, and they won the, uh, not the Memorial Cup, they won the Calder Cup. So he is a big proponent of investing in that AHL, ECHL pipeline, and Sullivan obviously really agrees with that too. And it makes sense if you think about it because Sullivan was an AHL coach for a while. He was 
with Wilkes-Barre whenever they were performing very well. I don't think they won the Calder Cup under him, but they did have very good seasons and results to show for it. And whenever he was there, they were actually still promoting some guys up. Since he's been the head coach, basically we haven't gotten much of anything out of Wilkes-Barre Scranton. So I think that's a good development, and I think that that does tell me that Sullivan, who is on the search committee to find a new general manager, definitely kind of is partial to wanting Dubis to be his new boss. On Wednesday, uh, we found, found got some more reports that it was between Dubis and Darsh, essentially. Um, we're going to get to that in a second, but there have been uh, some edits to that, some contrary reports. But then, uh, I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday, on the Chris Johnston show on the Steve Dingle Podcast Network, CJ said that he heard from a source that it's about a 98% chance that Kyle Dubas takes the Pittsburgh job. What job is that? Don't really know. We still haven't been really told much of anything in terms of, does is he going to be president and GM? Or is he just going to be GM? I, I, I honestly don't know. I, if I was guessing, I'd say he gets both titles. But... Uh, CJ, who is very well informed, very in the know in the uh, in and around the National Hockey League, including Toronto, because he's uh, based out of there. He follows the Leafs very closely. Uh, I'm assuming he has some people that know Dubas pretty well. It seemed like he was very, very certain that Pit- that Pittsburgh is going to get Dubas here in the coming days, week, and then. Um, as time went on, I think this was Thursday or Friday, there were some conflicting reports that Dubas is still considering his options, either waiting a, a, another year or two, taking the time off to be with his family, or taking this Pittsburgh job. Or potentially, he his childhood team was the Ottawa Senators, apparently. That job may open up depending on what, excuse me, what ownership group gets them, because they're currently in the process of a sale. That was supposed to happen in the last month or two, I've heard conflicting reports that that might happen as soon as today. It may happen by the end of the week. Who really knows? There's so much going on with that Ottawa Senator sale. But if a new owner wants to clean house and get his own people in there, Dubis may be that guy. And he'd probably get full autonomy too. I personally don't understand that because I think Pierre Dorian has actually done a really good job ever since he's actually been able to make decisions on his own. Obviously... Rest in peace to Eugene Melnick, the former owner of the Ottawa Senators. I don't mean to speak ill of, of you know the dead, but whenever Melnick was alive, he very much had his thumb on Pierre Dorian and made sure that decisions were, were run past um, himself, Melnick that is. So if you look at what the Ottawa Senators have done since Melnick's passing, I think Dorian's made a lot of good trades. Um, and a lot of good signings to help make that team competitive. I think they're very close to being competitive, and it's going to be, I thought it may have been this season, but I think definitely as soon as next season, they're going to be in very close to the hunt. They kind of were toward the end of the season, season, but then they kind of fell off with like seven, eight games left. But if I were the person buying the Ottawa Senators, I understand the impulse. You want to get your own person in there, totally get it. But Pierre Dorian's done a very good job, so I don't understand the logic a ton of just throwing him away to get your own guy in there. But yeah, that was uh, reports, I believe, on Wednesday or Thursday. And again, people were specifying that Darsh seems to be the top backup plan. 
I don't think he has many other options to get promoted, so it's not like he's really on um, much of a time constraint, I don't think. I'm sure it's, it'd be polite and professional to give him an answer soon, but um, he's not. it doesn't seem like he's going to be going to the Toronto opening. So definitely you have a little bit of time there for him. But also um, on that Wednesday, Thursday report, it was also reported that uh, Steve Greeley and Jason Botterill, Greeley of the Stars and Botterill, formerly of the Penguins, but currently on the Kraken front office, were also still kind of in the hunt. There's still options. Um, everyone else, I think, has been told that they're out of it, including, obviously, Tolsky, McKinnon, Bergevin, all those guys that we went through and talked about. I haven't heard John Chica's name very much recently. Still think that's a very interesting name. If Dubis only gets the president job, maybe getting Cheka in at the GM level would make sense. But something tells me that if Dubis takes his Pittsburgh job, Cheka could really be in on the senator's job. Because if that's the type of person they're looking for, obviously, not every young dude who has a front office job thinks the exact same. I understand that. But it makes a little bit of sense there that they want some. they, they might want some young blood in there. If they do decide to move off of Dorian, which, like I said, I don't know if that is going to be a thing, but just throwing that out there. So that's where we are left right now. But it is 3.59 on Tuesday, May 30th, and about a half hour ago, we heard something on Twitter, if you're following along, that... um, Let me see here. We heard something that seemed a bit definite but i'm looking on twitter to see if there's any new updates so essentially on um everyone knows mark madden mark madden is one of the most popular um sports radio people in the country or most notorious names he's very much a local guy and does local sports but he's very well known he was uh you know a a wrestling guy big into wrestling and you know like was a part of that for a while now is very in the know in around the penguins uh and he there's a report on twitter i don't know if it's true or not because i haven't heard the clip that he confirmed that dubis was in um was basically finalizing his deal to become the penguins general manager today it was 57 minutes ago josh reimer pr tweeted out at 302 so 58 minutes ago uh, 105 The X in Pittsburgh, he was talking about Madden, is reporting they have one source that Kyle Dubas is finalizing deal with Pittsburgh Penguins to be next GM. Haven't heard any confirmation about this. I'm looking on Madden's Twitter to see if there's anything here that he talks about. He did say that Dubas News at 3 p.m. on um, on his Twitter, he was basically announcing that. He didn't say what it would be. Josh Yoey of The Athletic also tweeted out this morning a vague tweet, you know, like a good morning, hockey fans. I think that's kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that something was going to happen today. I don't know. I, I don't know if we're going to hear. If we do, I'll add an insert to this podcast, or maybe I'll just make a completely different episode and all this will be for nothing. I don't know. But it does seem like we are on the precipice here of getting some confirmation that we have a new general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It just doesn't, it just hasn't happened yet. And I'm looking on Twitter everywhere and no one's, uh, I don't know. No one's really 
confirming anything. They're making a lot of jokes about it. Um, there's a fake, uh, a fake Frank Saravelli Twitter account that's confirming it, but that's not it. What is this? Hockey Patrol? I don't know. They didn't... That's not a... I don't know. There's no legitimate source confirming it or the team isn't confirming it right now. But it's something. It's definitely something. Um, today there was some head coaching news, obviously. A plethora of head coach openings right now. The Nashville Predators fired or parted ways with um, John Hines, the longtime uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton coach. He uh, was a New Jersey Devil head coach at a time and now was most recently with Nashville, but he was let go in favor of Andrew Burnett, who is now the head coach of the Nashville Predators. As well, the Washington Capitals hired um, Spencer Carberry, who was the assistant coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So definitely some movement here around the league. The Carberry one probably matters the most to the Penguins, as he is going to be the head coach of their of one of their biggest rivals now. So definitely significant. But I want to talk about another opening that hasn't been filled yet, and that is the Leafs GM search. Now, the names that have been brought up are very few, at least that have been confirmed to have been interviewed. But the good thing about it is with the Penguins, you know, taking their time to do this, even if they do it right now, it's been a very, very long GM search. One of the longest and probably most meticulous that we've seen in a very long time. I remember when they hired Rutherford. I remember when they hired Hextall. It did take some time, but the, it, the, the, the Penguins season's been over for over a month and a half now. So they've spent a lot of time sitting down and really thinking this through. And this honestly has changed my opinion on the Fenway Sports Group. I believe that they're much more invested in this hockey team now than they have ever have been, which is great. They really want to get their guy in. They want this GM to be their guy. Hextall was not their guy. They want to get a guy that aligns most with them and their values and principles and beliefs. Kyle Dubas is that guy. But in terms of the Maple Leafs job, got off track, doesn't seem like it's going to interfere at all because the guys that they're that they're interviewing the one guy in particular that they had an in-person interview with was former Calgary Flames general manager Brad Tree Living was never brought up in the Penguin search. To be fair, their search was pretty much underway when he was let go. Not to say that that changed anything for Kyle Dubas, obviously, because Kyle Dubas was let go even later, I believe. Um, that may not even be true. I'm not, I'm not 100% on that, but, but Kyle Dubas was let go recently as well. That's my point. But they never really looked at the tree living option. The other names that have been brought up for that that job more recently, who I think have gotten Zoom interviews, they said, were former Canadians general manager Brad Treelivy, it's not Brad Treelivy, Mark Bergevin, sorry, and former Edmonton Oilers general manager Peter Shirelli. All three of those guys are former Canadian market general managers, so they know what it feels like to you know take the heat of being the top decision maker for the top team in a city. The stakes are that much higher whenever you're a Canadian team's general manager and all those guys have felt it before they understand. My only thing is, is that none of those hires are forward thinking at all. I don't think they're along the, the path that the Maple Leafs were on. I think they're kind of more throwback regression hires i don't think any of those guys are better than kyle dubas so i'm not sure exactly what 
the Maple Leafs think they're going to do with this. And I, I don't think that if you're a, if you're Brendan Shanahan or the MLSC board, you can think in your right mind that you're getting a, an improvement at the general manager position. The only thing that makes sense is Brad Tree Living last off season sold off some big pieces and he was content with letting go uh, Johnny Gaudreau probably wasn't the best decision. He probably should have sold him off, but they were in the hunt for a uh, Stanley cup at the time. So it made some sense, but he has experience blowing up teams and blowing up the core of teams. He traded Matthew Kachuk for at the time, a package that seemed as if it was a steal. They got a reigning heart, trophy finalist in Jonathan Huberdeau and a great, great defenseman in Mackenzie Weger for an RFA who was not going to resign in Matthew Kachuk. It seemed at the time like it was a steal, but now looking back at it after seeing the playoff we've just saw out of Matthew Kachuk, no one's saying that. Everyone knows and thinks that Florida got the better end of that deal because they got what we presume is going to be... I think it, it was already announced that he's a heart finalist this season for his regular season performance. And is four wins away from maybe getting the Conn Smythe Trophy. We're not exactly sure yet. Depends on how... Uh, obviously, if Florida wins or not, probably. But also, Sergei Bobrovsky excuse me, has been on a, another level. And goaltending performances like that do not come around very often you'd probably give it to the goalie besides the point. I could see Bradshaw living being tasked with being the one to have to blow up this core. Maybe Austin Matthews doesn't resign this uh, season. His contract's up at the end of the season. He'll be a UFA if he wants to be. Maybe you have to move off of him. More likely, they trade one of Nylander or Marner this offseason. Either way, they need to make that decision soon Tree Living would be the guy to do it. They need to get one of those GMs in there now, though. I don't think Bergevin, Bergevin might do it. He does have experience trading some bigger guys, i.e. P.K. Subban. I don't think Peter Shirelli would do it. Peter Shirelli seems like he would very much be a Brendan Shanahan puppet, which you don't need. You need a guy who can have a different opinion and make hard decisions without someone breathing down his back. As long as Brandon Shanahan's there, though, I don't know if it's going to be able to happen. Suffice to say, how does this affect the Penguins? Luckily, it doesn't. I don't think it's going to affect the Penguin search whatsoever. I don't think any of these guys are in the running, either have never been in the running or aren't in the running anymore for the Penguins general manager job. But we can thank Brandon Shanahan for being petty enough to fire Kyle Dubas over taking time off to consider his options and consider if his family wants him to keep doing this. That petty decision by Brendan Shanahan was enough to probably give the Penguins their next general manager and president, but we don't know yet. I'm going to take a short break and I still have some things I want to talk about. So we're going to get around to it and we'll be back. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Last night, the Vegas Golden Knights punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup Final, and we have two great places to visit as a Stanley Cup Final. The Sunrise Florida Panthers against the 
Vegas Golden Knights. And at the moment, the Florida Panthers are underdogs in this series at a plus 110. A $10 bet on the Florida Panthers to win this series pays out $21. If you're a, Vol- a Vegas Golden Knight believer and you want the favorite to win, the, that, the $10 payout for that will be $17.69. It's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to it. Probably one of the best Stanley Cup finals in a long time. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Welcome back. And speaking of the Stanley Cup final, two teams are left. Like I said, the Vegas Golden Knights. They punched their ticket in with a 6-0 victory over the Dallas Stars in Game 6 in Dallas to face the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup Final. The games start on Saturday. It'll start in Vegas. All of the games will be on TNT. It should be a very, very, very entertaining Stanley Cup Final. And like I said, I think it'll be one of the best finals we've seen in a long time. These are two really good teams, the Panthers are a hungry underdog on a heater right now. And the Vegas Golden Knights have a ton of star power and a team that really, really wants to win. And those teams also have some former Penguins. Now, the Florida Panthers do not have any former Penguins that are playing for them right now. But they do have Patrick Hornfist, who won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And played a pivotal role in those cup finals. But as we mentioned in a few episodes prior, he has been injured basically for over half the season now. And he has not been able to be a part of the Stanley Cup run, which is kind of scary to think. Imagine, you know, he's a proven playoff performer. Imagine how this would have been different and how much, you know, more physically dominant the Florida Panthers would have been. They're already killing the um, the physicality game in all these series, imagine what it would have been like to have Patrick Hornqvist up on uh, you know third or fourth line, just insane. And he's a great veteran presence and knows how to win, which is one of those things you really can't quantify. He's the only former Penguin on the Florida side of things, but over in Nevada, they have two, we've talked about, two former Penguins on the roster. And one of them Fan favorite Phil Kessel has not played since round one. He has been a healthy scratch all throughout this playoff run for the most part. And the other guy is trade deadline acquisition Teddy Bluger, who has been pretty good for them. He hasn't played a ton of uh, postseason games. I believe just six here, four in that Dallas series and then two in Edmonton. But he does have two points. He had the first goal, I believe, in game one. 
uh, of the uh, Dallas series. He, which the, that game they went on to win four three in overtime. He played games one, two, three, and four, but was a healthy scratch for five and six. Will he get some action here in round in the uh, in the final? I don't know. I'd like to hope so that um, we could see another former Penguin there. And genuinely, over the last decade, one of the only former Penguin draft picks to really, you know, be an everyday player other than some goalies, Jake Gensel, and there's really not much more beyond that. The core players of this team have either, uh, you know, have been developed years and years ago, and basically other other pieces have been signed or traded. And But, so yeah, that's, uh, if you want a, a guide on who to cheer for in the Stanley Cup final... If you love an underdog story, there's no more of an underdog story quite like the Florida Panthers of the of this season. But the Vegas Golden Knights are a lot of Penguin fans' second team. They obviously had Flurry for a long time. I know there's a lot of Pittsburghers that go out to Vegas often or have you know houses out in Nevada. There's a lot of connections between Western Pennsylvania and the Las Vegas region. So there's a reason there. There's also a lot of people that like going down to Florida in Miami and have some relation there. If Ganey Malkin has a house down there or a condo, there's I'm sure a lot of other players that go down there and visit a big, you know, Russian presence down in South Florida. So tons and tons of reasons to root for one team or another. I have a lot of Golden Knight gear because whenever they first got brought into the league, I loved their uniforms and their uh, you know their logo. I've been to a Golden Knight game I, in Las Vegas. It's a crazy fun experience, especially in the playoffs. I've never been to a playoff game personally in Vegas, but it just looks insane to me. The festivities and the you know in-game entertainment is second to none. It's the best experience I think in an NHL building. Florida has long been the you know laughing stock of the league. If you look at what the Arizona Coyotes are going through now. Not more than a half decade to a decade ago, fans were calling for Florida to be moved, you know, and now they're a dominant force, four wins away from a Stanley Cup. So, if I I, I think I'm going to pull for Florida here, even though they're an Eastern Conference team, you know, I don't care. I think that an underdog story here is fantastic, and Matthew Kachuk has proven he's a top five maybe three player in the league and Sergei Bobrovsky is you know reinventing himself basically going back to young Bob and I love a comeback story I love an underdog story Florida has it all Vegas is the favorite as we mentioned in the DraftKings segment um, so yeah I think I'm gonna go with the underdog personally but both of these organizations and teams I don't mind it, it, it's going to be fine either way. There's n- no real hateable team here. I know a lot of people don't like Vegas because of how, how, like how heartless they are. I don't really mind. They're in the pursuit of a Stanley Cup. You have to be cutthroat and heartless sometimes. Um, so that's that. One thing I do want... I have two things, two, three things I want to talk about before I cut off for this week. But since there's been so much talk in the last week about what the Penguins uh, are looking for in a general manager. I think it's a good conversation to have. And basically so much has been made of who are they going to bring in? The bigger question to to me is what is the person who's brought in 
going to need to do. Because GMs have different skill sets, just like players. We've seen what Kyle Dubas has been able to do with his young development-based team that he built. And like I talked about at the beginning of this episode, that's not what he's going to run into here. He's going to have a very different set of circumstances and constraints that he has to build around. So what would a GM Dubas or GM Darsh or whoever, what would they need to do? So what are things that they should be good at or confident in, in you know, making certain decisions? Right now, Penguins have eight forwards under NHL contract next year. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, Mikhail Granlund, for better or for worse, um, Ricard Raquel, Jeff Carter, for better or for worse, and Alex Nylander. They have two RFAs, Drew O'Connor, Ryan Paling, and they have four UFAs in Josh Archibald, Nick Benino, Dan Heinen, and Jason Zucker. I expect that likely Heinen, Bonino, and Archibald are gone. I expect that they re-sign both Paling and O'Connor, probably no problem. So there's that's 10 forwards there. The question mark is Zucker. Do I think they want to bring him back? Yes. Obviously, it depends on who the GM is on base, what they, how they feel. But I think the organization, the team, Sullivan, I think they really like Jason Zucker. I've never seen Mike Sullivan talk more positively about a player in losses than Jason Zucker. Following a loss, a lot of times Sullivan's angry, upset, disappointed. He obviously, no matter what, if they lose, he is. But even in losses, he will talk glowingly about Jason Zucker and the intangibles that he brings to this team. I've never been one for intangibles as, you know, reasons to keep uh, players around specifically. If someone has is a great locker room guy, but is going out there playing 82 games and has a stat line of 0-0-0 and then a billion penalty minutes, not a reason to keep a guy. That's a net negative regardless. But Jason Zucker proved that if he can stay healthy, which is still a part of this conversation, definitely worth having, he should he should be an everyday top six forward. He scores. He has a great shot. He gets into the dirty areas. He's physical. He's passionate. And one of the only guys that can really stand up for himself in this uh, in this lineup. That was another thing is that players got pushed around this year. And uh, Crosby and Malkin uh, and Latang had to fight a lot of their own battles. Zucker is willing to fight some battles to himself. A lot of other guys on this team, a little more on the soft side when it comes to that. So, assuming Paling and O'Connor sign, you have 10 NHL forwards. If you can get Zucker signed, you have 11. If not, you still have two more of the top 12 spots you need to fill. And there's no obvious answer down in the AHL. So, I'm not even really looking into that right now. Philip Hollander's gone. Gruden is an RFA. He got some time, but did they bring him back? I think they should. He was a big part of that... Um, Matt Murray uh, trade back in the day. But um, yeah, they're going to need to add some pieces in free agency or through trades, some forwards. I think they're also going to look into shedding. Jeff Carter is not really one that you can try to shed, but Mikel Granlin's definitely one they're going to try to shed. That's $5 million for next season and the following season. And they just gave up a lot of, uh, well, a second round pick to get him, which to me, value-wise, is a lot considering the player in the contract. I think Dubis or whoever comes in is going to need to try to shed that, to add a little more 
cap to fill out the areas that actually need to be filled out. So if you shed him and you sign O'Connor Paling, you're back to nine forwards. So you have a whole line of forwards you need to add. And at the moment, their projected cap space is $20 million. You shed Granlund, that becomes $25 million. And on the back end, they have six NHL defensemen signed. They have Petrie for two more years. They have Latang for five more. Pedersen for two more. Jan Ruda for two more. POJ for one. And Ruedel for one. Dumoulin is a UFA. I think he's likely gone. Kulikov is a UFA. He's 100% gone. So they need a top four-ish left-handed D-man. There's definitely a hole there. I saw an article, I forget who wrote it, but um, mentioning uh, Gavrikov, Vladislav Gavrikov, former Blue Jacket. He was traded to LA at the deadline with uh, Corpusalo. Maybe that's a guy you look at if it's not too much money, if you have any leftover money to fill that Brian Dumoulin spot. Brian Dumoulin was abysmal in the first half of the season and got it together a little bit down the stretch, but I don't think they bring him back, especially not at the money that he was making before. If he's willing to take about a 50% pay cut, maybe they consider it as kind of like a bottom pairing slash seventh option, which that's still a lot of money for a seventh option, but regardless, it could make some sense. Um, Yeah, I don't see... I don't, I don't see them bringing him back, likely. So, likely, they need to add a top four defender, left-handed defender. And if you're moving out Granlund, you have a opening at third-line center. I think, likely, they are going to have to hold on to Carter for this one more year. I don't see a way out of it, unless you buy him out, which doesn't save much money. It just opens up the roster spot, but maybe they consider that. I don't know. But you, if you move out Grandland, either through buyout or trades, that opens up the third-line center spot. And there's already an open spot on third-line or fourth-line, bottom six right wing. Uh, and depending on Zucker, there could be an opening at top six left wing. So there's a lot to fill here. And if you look at the teams that Kyle Dubas has built, he's been able to find you know, market inefficiencies to fill those bottom roles or those supporting roles around a core. And I don't want to hear, yeah, yeah, he didn't make the playoffs or he didn't do well in the playoffs, didn't succeed in the playoffs. I get that. But the teams he built were able to win. And it wasn't the fault of the supporting cast that he built that they didn't win those playoff series. It's the core. That's the reason why they're having so many conversations right now in Toronto about disassembling the core because the core has been the one to fail so in my mind i think kyle dubas could be the right guy to fill out these supporting roles i really hope they bring zucker back i really do i think he fits in great on this team he's a great second line left wing i think they do need to move off of grandland i don't think they can do it with like without sweetening the pot i don't know how much a buyout is let me see if i can figure that out so According to Cap Friendly, a Grandland buyout would cost the Penguins $833,000 this coming season. And then three seasons following, it would be $1,833,000. And it's worth mentioning, they already are buying, are paying for the buyout of Jack Johnson at the moment. So how much dead money, dead cap do you really want to have on the books? Probably not a ton. But it would extend, I think... I think it'd be worth it because the Penguins need to win now and it would save them a lot of money now. 
that's only if they really can't move that contract without, you know, sweetening the pot beyond control. I wouldn't give up a first or a second or anything like that to get rid of him. But if it costs like a third, a fourth, you consider it. If, if someone wants Granlund and is willing to give assets for them, you buy him a ticket to Pittsburgh International right now. You get him on that 28X airport flyer bus and you say, good riddance, get out of this city and enjoy Tempe, Arizona or Anaheim, California, wherever. Get him out of here, please. Just an awful penguin. He did not perform at all. And then I'm looking at the free agent pool for those supporting roles, and I don't see any obvious answers. That's why I kind of want Kyle Dubas to be the GM, because I'm sure he sees things that I don't. There's not a ton of options in terms of players for that those roles that we're looking at, looking at like third-line center, third line right wing Patrick Hornquist is a free agent do you want to bring him a 36 year old Hornquist back I mean it's probably better than the bottom six we had this year but I still don't think that's an upgrade Jonas Donskoy is a free agent he's been okay I don't know how much he's gonna want Nick Foligno is good and physical which they do need to get a little more physical but he's old and has injury problems he's 35 Lars Eller I don't think he'd be a terrible third line center but is that the best you can do Paul Byron's there. Uh, Craig Smith is uh, 33, and he's you know he's been right wing before on bottom sixes that have been teams have been successful. Uh, Max Domi, he's physical and can you know play make. He got 20 goals this season, 56 points. He wouldn't be the worst third line center. There's some options. There's just not a ton of obvious options, and that's why I think Kyle Dubas would do a good job. Finding those, you know, guys on the fringes to really pop here in Pittsburgh. And if you can be successful here in Pittsburgh and on a cheap deal and like a one or two year prove it deal, you can go off afterwards and you can make a boatload of money with some other team because teams will sign you. Teams love taking former Penguins on the from the bottom six and from the, you know, from the edges of the Penguins and putting them in elevated roles, paying them a ton of money to do it. And it doesn't always work out. But we don't need it to work out for the other team. We just need it to work out here and have some success, get into the playoffs, and perform in the playoffs. Maybe Dubas is that kind of GM that can do that. It didn't work out too well for him in Toronto. It was a different situation he was in. Maybe this is the situation for him. Matthew Darsh also did a very good job during those Stanley Cup final teams helping Steve Eiserman and... Uh, what's uh, Julian Brisois helping him create a deep team. Those teams that won were super deep from first to fourth line. You got something different, but you got highly competitive and lines that could wear you down this year in Pittsburgh. There were two lines that could give defenses trouble. And then the rest of the time on the ice, you didn't have to worry about the penguins ever scoring. That's not the case for the teams that are really good. Florida's gotten some depth scoring. Vegas has gotten a good amount of depth scoring. Pittsburgh didn't get any this year. They got nothing outside of the top six. So that's what I think. Uh, definitely a lot to think about. The free agency, the draft, all that is coming up super quick. So that's why I'm, I'm convinced that this GM thing is going to happen today. 
if not by the end of this week. I know I said that last week too, but it's just getting too close for there not to be some confirmation there. Even if it's not Dubas, I think you can't wait anymore with the Penguins. You got you got to get something going here soon. Um, I'm looking, I'm checking Twitter again to see if there's any confirmation and still nothing. Still only the um, Mark Madden 1059X report that Josh Reimer tweeted out. Other than that, not seeing much of anything. Uh, we're already a good bit into this. I'm going to do one more quick segment I want to do about bad contracts in Penguins history. I'm going to do that in one second. I need, to, I need to take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. So I lied. I wouldn't be right back. It is now 10.34 p.m. on Tuesday, May 30th. So roughly six and a half hours after I last recorded. And I, to be honest, I was busy. But also, there seemed to have been so much news coming out or so much smoke around the idea that the Penguins were going to hire Kyle Dubas today and get a contract done and announce it. I didn't want this entire show to be wasted. So I made the decision to just wait it out. I got some things done. Played some pickleball, of course. And to no avail. There's still no confirmation. It seemed as if today was going to be the day. And actually, it seems as though at this point, the Toronto Maple Leafs have actually made their decision on their general manager. Mind you, they've only been without a general manager for a little over a week. The Penguins haven't had a general manager since it's been a month and a half now, I think. It was just right after the regular season ended, so somewhere around early to mid-April. I don't know. I don't remember the exact date, but the Maple Leafs wasted no time finding their guy. It seems like Brad Tree Living is the guy. That's what Darren Drager of TSN is reporting that it will. That's who it's going to be. Uh, the Maple Leafs have not formally announced it yet, but that's uh, he's a reputable source. I believe him. And to refute some of the things we talked about earlier about Kyle Dubas. Um, it's uh, uh, Frank Cervelli of Daily Faceoff says that he basically refuted the claims that we saw earlier today. He said that it seems like there is some snag in the contract negotiation, and it seems like Kyle Dubas may have rejected or may be on the path to reject this contract offer. So that's where we're at right now on Tuesday night, maybe by Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, things will be different, but I'm not going to put all the chips into the Dubis basket. I know I've been I've spent a ton of time on the show talking about him becoming the Penguins general manager, but to be perfectly honest with you, I'm totally okay with them hiring Matthew Darsh. I think a lot of Penguin fans online have been very dead set on Dubis. See, he's a very polarizing figure. There's a lot of people that are fully for it there's a lot of people that are completely against it to be honest with you the alternatives or in this case the single alternative that i believe would be the go-to if dubas doesn't take the the job matthew darsh totally cool with that julian brisois was an agm under eiserman for years and i think he's one of the better gms now in this league darsh has been there underneath brisois for a while now I think he had some overlap with the Iserman era. I'm not exactly sure, but I believe Matthew Darsh would be a fine general manager for this team. 
maybe not the direction that um, Fenway Sports Group wants the team to go necessarily because they are so dead set on youth, young, you know, analytics. They seem to really have an affinity for Kyle Dubas. Maybe if Dubas doesn't get it, maybe Cheka comes back into the fold, not in the GM role, but maybe he, they offer him the president role and Darsh the GM role. I'm really tired of talking about this, to be, per- to be perfectly honest with you. I really want it to be over. It seems to be the longest general manager search ever, but that's where we're at right now. And I figured I'd leave that update since I took so much time off in between uh, segments here. But the one segment I really did want to do that I mentioned before I came back here was the contract segment. I saw an article for on, uh, it was on my recommended on my Google because I, you know, read so much hockey stuff. And it was an article on Bolts by the Bay. And it's a, that's a, a not a Toronto, a Tampa Bay Lightning uh, blog website. And they had an article for the top five worst contracts in, you know, their recent era, you know, since they started making it to Western, I mean, Eastern Conference Finals, playoffs, whatnot. I think it was like, like, furthest back was like 2014, 15, something like that. So I wanted to look at this era of Penguins. And by this era, I mean, probably the same mid, you know, mid 2010s to now, like the Jim Rutherford, Ron Hextall era of Penn's contracts. And I wanted to kind of do a top five worst ones and just kind of give you an idea of maybe contextualize here what, um, how bad some of the current ones are in comparison to, um, you know, uh, just historically, because the Penguins have been plagued with some bad contracts. And also, caveat, this isn't for contracts they traded for. Um, this is purely ones that were signed, that the, the, the you know signing was made by the Penguins and the Penguins, whoever the general manager was at the, was at the time. I think it was Rutherford and Hagstall were the only ones that these five or four. But so not, no one traded, so I'm not going to have, you know, Petrie or Granlund on this list. I, oh, you know, bad trades are their own. That's in their own list. But this is just the top five, in my opinion, worst Penguins contracts in recent memory. Honorable, honorable mention I'm going to give to Brandon Tanev. He was signed by um, uh, Jimmy Rutherford back in 2019 on Free Agent Frenzy Day. He was given a six-year contract with a modified no-trade list. That's a 10-team no-trade list for Brandon Tanev. And he was given uh, $3.5 million each year, paid out by a $1 million signing bonus every year, and $2.5 million in base salary. So yeah, 3.5 cap hit every year for six years. And at that time, Brandon Tanev was, was always, and still has been, a bottom six forward. He is feisty. He's fast, he's aggressive, but he never had the potential to be a top six forward. He never had it. He's all he was always going to be in that bottom six role. And I subscribe to the belief that you don't give guys that are on the perimeter of your team Bobby basically bottom six, you know, backup goalies, bottom pair, bottom three ish defensemen. You don't give those guys that kind of term. I would max out at three years most for those guys. Probably want to keep around two years, one, two years. If if they really want term and you want to bring the uh, average annual salary down, three years. But six years for a bottom six forward never made sense to me. 
And it's not nothing to do with his performance. He did perform well as a Penguin. He was only here two seasons of that contract before the Seattle Kraken took him in the expansion draft in 2021. And since he's been a Kraken, he's been fantastic. Last year, he had half a point a game. He had 15 points in 30 games. He missed some time with injury this year. And and he played a full 82 games, and he got 16 goals and 35 points. So he's performed well. He... If you're looking at his AAV, you know, I think he's provided the value each year for that um, when he's been healthy, granted, because in both um, his final season with the Penguins and that first year with the Kraken, he missed a good chunk of games. The only problem I have with that is the term is one, his play style doesn't really um, age well. You know, when you play that physical and you have that much speed, you, you tend to lose uh, some things along the way, uh, some elements, either some, uh, you know, you lose your legs as you get older. That So any players that really rely on their legs, I don't trust a ton with age. Obviously, there are exceptions to the role, Connor McDavid. But um, there's that, and also just how physical he is. He's bound to get injured. So it never really made a ton of sense to me to, to do that deal. But it has worked out, and the Penguins were able to get out of it if that's how you want to look at it, he, like I said, only he were here two years. He didn't have to give anything away to get rid of the contract. So no harm, no foul. That's just an honorable mention. The fifth, I'm going to go backwards here. The fifth worst contract in recent Penguins history is another Jim Rutherford classic. And it was signed on free agent day in 2017. And that is defenseman Matt Hunwick. He was signed to a three-year deal worth $2.25 million per he, um, it was most salary. It was, uh, he got 2.5 years in the first, each of the first two years and then 1.75 his final year. And that's another contract that did not survive the, uh, length of the contract. He was dealt in the Connor Sherry deal to bring Connor Sherry, uh, back to Pittsburgh, I believe. Let me double check that here. I'm on using cap friendly to confirm all this. He, um, no, sorry, actually, the other way around. Uh, Matt Hunwick and Connor Sherry were dealt together for a fourth-round pick. There was a condition on the pick, and it was not met. So the Penguins... Um, oh, uh, okay, so if it if Sherry had 20 goals or 40 assists, or the Buffalo Sabres traded Hunwick again before the draft, they would get a third-round pick, the Penguins, but instead they got the fourth. Um I'm not sure if you'd consider that one a salary dump or not. I'm not exactly sure what that the deal is with that uh, trade. But nonetheless, they lost a um, what I thought was a good forward. I always liked Connor Sherry. They lost him, to, uh, in my eyes, to get rid of that contract. But the worst part of that deal was the performance that led to him getting that contract. He spent two years with the Toronto Maple Leafs prior to signing with Pittsburgh. 2015, 16, and then 16, 17. And in both of those years, he was on a very bad Toronto Maple Leafs team that was, you know, rebuilding the, the final year. They got, they surprisingly made their way to the playoffs, but they, they still were not very good. And their defense was the, the worst part. And he was probably the worst part of it. He was a very, very bad defender. He was a good veteran presence, but not defensively sound whatsoever. Did not put up a ton of points. Um, just not a great player. And you can tell that it wasn't great because the after he, uh, he got dealt to buffalo he played 14 games in buffalo played and then uh, played two with rochester in the ahl 
and was never to be seen again. So bad contract by Jim Rutherford again. Too much term and too much money for a defender that wasn't good. He just was not good. Didn't make sense at the time. I I never liked that deal. For a left-handed defenseman of his age, didn't make sense. Another Another bad Jim Rutherford contract. In fourth, we have one that actually just recently the Penguins got out of, and um, it's an active contract, and it's the Brock McGinn contract. Brock McGinn signed on July 28, 2021 by Ron Hextall this time. He was the general manager at the time, and Hextall signed McGinn to a four-year deal worth $2.75 million per a fully in base salary, no bonuses there. And it's similar to the Tanev deal. It's he, he basically, well, it's really similar to the Tanev deal because actually McGinn was brought in to replace Brandon Tanev after the um, Penguins lost Tanev to Seattle. Uh, they, uh, Ron Hextall believed that Brock McGinn was going to slide right in and be a cheaper Brandon Tanev and just fill the role exactly, but it was never the case. Uh, McGinn did play the PK. He was all right at that, but he was never as feisty, as aggressive, as fast, as impactful as Brandon Tanev. And just another case of giving a bottom six forward, one of those depth pieces that you should be able to move around from year to year, too much term. You never lock into long term for those kind of guys because those are the guys when your team doesn't succeed you shift around a little bit and look for upgrades in the playoffs you don't commit to them for four years it never makes sense to me he scored 12 goals his first year with pittsburgh and then 10 this past season before being traded to the anaheim ducks um, at the deadline uh, or around the deadline i don't remember exactly when that deal was made let me see if i can check that one it was the Kulikov deal, and I believe, yeah, it was like a, a couple days before the deadline. But yeah, that's um, my fourth worst contract I have there, and that's the first one for good old Ronnie Hextall. This next one, the third one, is a little bit of a throwback, but it, I counted it nonetheless on um, in this era. And actually, it wasn't signed by Hextall or... Rutherford, it was signed by Ray Shiro. But I, if you if you know, you know... Rob Scuderi in 2013, the July 5th, 2013. This may be cheating a little bit. I may be going a little too far back, but I'm going to run with it anyways. Ray Shiro signed him to a four-year deal worth $3.375 million per. And also he got a modified no-trade clause. I don't know how, but he did. And it was abysmal. He started his career with the Penguins. He was drafted in, what year was it? Uh, 98 all the way back, but he didn't make his debut with the Penguins until uh, 2003-04. And he was a Penguin until um, 2009-10 where he signed with the Los Angeles Kings, was there for a bit. And then in 13-14, Ray Shearer decides to bring him back into the fold where he was very much an uh, ineffective defender at the time to say the least. He was kind of the first one, if you uh, were an early adopter to Penguins Twitter, where the fans called for his head all the time. They were not having it, and they were not happy that he was a part of the team. And honestly, the trade to get him out of here was a masterclass by Jim Rutherford. They got Trevor Daly back for him. Don't know how that happened, 
But that kind of kickstarted the whole Stanley Cup run. That deal was huge. They sent him to the Chicago Blackhawks and got Trevor Daly back. And then the Blackhawks, subsequently the same season, sent him back to Los Angeles where he was in between his two stints with Pittsburgh. Just a terrible deal. And it was awful. It took up a ton of money and a, and a roster spot on that back end. I think it probably cost Mike Johnston his, his job, uh, how bad Rob Skidary was. But there was a lot, a lot else that went into that. But... Yeah, not great. Rob Scuderi was not a good Penguin uh, on his second stint, and he only lasted two and a half years out of that four-year deal and was paid way too much for it. And somehow Jim Rutherford became a uh, cult hero in Pittsburgh by getting out of that deal and getting actual value back and not, not having to pay to get rid of it. I remember when I found out about that trade, my jaw dropped. I was like, we got a good defender back, and we didn't have to pay anything for them to take Scuderi. I don't know what Stan Bowman was thinking at the time, but good deal for Jim Rutherford, one of the ones that made him a legend here in Pittsburgh. Number two is one that is currently on the Penguins' roster. No surprise here, Jeff Carter, and a different, a little bit of a different reason why. But if you watch the season, yeah, you get it. Jeff Carter signed, was traded to the Penguins by the uh, Los Angeles Kings. When was, what year was that? That was 2020-21. So right before all the shutdowns and everything, he was traded to the Penguins where uh, in in that season, he actually had a good run with the Penguins. In 14 games, he got nine goals, two assists, 11 points. I remember the, the vibes were good for Jeff Carter back then. And in the playoffs, he had five points in six games. Last season, 21-22, he was uh, was a pretty good forward. He had 45 points in 76 games, so over half a point a game. And in the playoffs, again, five points in uh, seven games this time. This is where it gets a little bad. After that performance, the Penguins, more specifically Ron Hextall, decides to give him an extension. And the idea at the time, which this has just come out more public recently, was they were not going to re-sign Evgeny Malkin and Crystal Tank. That was Hextall's plan. He wanted to start the rebuild, you know, get younger people in, move them out. Funny, younger people. But his plan in doing that was to replace Evgeny Malkin at the second line center position with Jeff Carter. And if you watch the Penguins this season, uh, you know that wasn't a great plan. Jeff Carter, given a no-move clause after his 21-22 season, signed a two-year deal with the Penguins for $3.125 million per. The first season of that we just finished, and the last season of that is this upcoming season. No move, so you can't buy it out, and it's a 35-plus salary, I mean a 35-plus age contract, so you can't do a whole lot with it. Um, yeah, not good. Not good. He has no legs left. He doesn't have much he can provide. He's supposed to be a face-off guy who can't win face-offs. Just not great. And something interesting I realized when in doing this, a uh, little research for this segment, although he spent over a decade um, between being with the Flyers and then becoming a Penguin, 
Jeff Carter has never signed an NHL contract with a non-Pennsylvania team. He was drafted in 2005, sorry, he was drafted in 2003. He signed his entry-level deal in 2005. Then he signed a three-year deal with $5 million per after that contract uh, you know, finished up with the Flyers again until 2010-2011. Then Paul Holmgren in, for the 11-12 season signs him to an 11-year deal worth five, almost $5.3 million per. It was 5272727, a crazy contract, but 11 years from 2010 that expired in 2021-22 that contract was what the what the penguins had on their uh on their books the los angeles kings just retained some of it so it was less money but he had a contract for 11 years a contract that is illegal now you cannot sign a player for over eight years now he had it for 11 just Absolute insanity. And right after he signs that, let me make sure, 11-12. Right after he signs that, they trade him to the Columbus Blue Jackets. He hates it there. Then he forces a move to the Los Angeles Kings. And that kickstarts their Stanley Cup runs. And they go on to win two Stanley Cups with him. He was a very successful, you know, second line center at times with them. And so, and then they trade him to Pittsburgh. He had a good first year, but the Penguins have not have been successful in his tenure here. And to give a at the time thirty seven year old a two year extension with a with a no move clause, with the intention of him being a second line center. Is one of the more baffling moves in Ron Hextall's tenure as a penguin, as a penguin's uh, general manager. Yeah, not, not, not good. Very, very bad on that one. Um, and that's going to be one of those ones, like I said earlier in the podcast, they're just going to have to pl- play with it. Put him at fourth line center, scratch him if you have to. You're not getting out of that contract. He has all the protection in the world. You just got to deal with it. Now, the number one contract. Worst contract in recent Penguins history should come as no surprise. Another one that was a big meme one on Penguins Twitter at the time. None other than defenseman Jack Johnson, who on free agent uh, free agent frenzy day, July first, twenty eighteen, Jim Rutherford handed out a five year deal worth three point two five million dollars per, and it was subsequently bought out in October of twenty twenty. So he only played through three seasons of it, I believe. Let me check. Two, sorry, two seasons of it. The dates are weird because of uh, the COVID stoppages and everything. So I always got I get that one mixed up. But he played two seasons of a six-year, sorry, five, five, is it five or six? Hold on, give me one second. Five-year. Played two seasons of a five-year deal, so 40% of it. And the entire time was an unbelievable net negative. If you look at his history beforehand, he's another player, just like Carter, who was a former King and a former Blue Jacket. If players are from those two uh, teams prior, the Penguins should steer clear. 
They should steer clear of those guys. So maybe when I talked about Gavrikov, maybe not. <laughs> maybe don't sign Gavrikov because he was formerly a Blue Jacket and a King. Same with Corpusalo. So maybe stay, steer clear of those two because the track record here is not great. Played two seasons and was awful. He was, his numbers honestly don't emphasize how bad he was. In his first year, 18-19, he played all 82 games and all 82 games were bad. He had one goal, 12 assists, 13 points, which that's not great, but that's not the reason he was bad. Uh, minus four, 41 penalty minutes. Season following, 67 games, three goals, eight assists, 11 points, minus one, 26 penalty minutes. He was a pylon. That word gets thrown around a lot for bad defenders. I remember in the Dion Phaneuf Maple Leaf era, that was an easy one. Jack Johnson was an actual pylon with the Penguins. Granted, he has gone on to win a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche last year. So I'm not trying to kick the guy while he's down. He's also had some really unfortunate luck in his career. He, um, I don't remember the full story, but I remember there was something with some family members, I believe, stealing uh, money from him, allegedly. Uh, so that's obviously terrible. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm just saying, as a Penguin, he took up a lot of money. Another one of those depth guys who's at best a bottom-pairing defenseman that you gave five years to. It just it never made sense. It never made sense. And it very much seemed like it was one of those, he's friends with Sidney Crosby. I think they went to Shattuck St. Mary together. So you got to get Crosby's buddy. And they paid way, way too much for him in average annual salary and in term. Doesn't make sense. Another, you know, terrible long-term deal made by Jim Rutherford. If I were the Penguins general manager, whoever it will end up being, one, don't sign former Kings that were also Blue Jackets. Two, maybe keep your wallet shut on July 1st because the track record isn't great on signing free agents July 1st. The only good thing I remember that stands out to me without doing any further research that, uh, to me that happened on July 1st in Penguins history was acquiring Phil Kessel. That wasn't a signing. That was a trade. It was a great trade. You know, Kasperi Kapanen, uh, was, what else happened? Was that a first, I think. Um, and we got Kessel, Tyler Biggs, Tim Erickson. I think I don't, and I think it was a bigger deal than that, but that's what I remember. So yeah, to Kyle Dubas or Matthew Darsh or Steve Greeley or whoever else, me, maybe John Chaka, maybe me, maybe I get the general manager job. Um, to whoever is the Penguins general manager, maybe keep your wallet shut on July 1st and also don't sign former Blue Jackets slash Kings just for future reference. Don't do it. Uh, also worth mentioning, Rob Scuderi obviously was a King. Matt Hunwick was not a King and Brandon Tana was not a King. So I'm not going to mention those guys, but, um, we are at an hour 10 right now and I'm going to check Twitter before I get off because I don't want to have made this long of a podcast without something actually happening for the, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins general manager job. So let me take a, let me search. People are very openly talking about Brad, uh, Bradshaw living being the new Maple Leafs general manager. And when you search Dubas on Twitter, a lot of it is about the downgrade from Dubas to Tree Living. I actually don't, like I said, I don't think Tree Living's terrible. 
for that job, but I'm not finding much more news about Kyle Dubis. Uh, I'm looking. Yeah, the Cerevelli report does kind of, you know, throw a wrench in plans if it's true. It does worry me a bit. I'm just not sure what it means. But I don't know. Uh, Okay, I'm going to leave that there. Yeah, True Living is expected to be the Leafs GM that is the only GM news we have at this late hour. It is now 11.02 on Tuesday night, and I still have to take the garbage out. So I'm going to go do that, and I'm going to end this here. But thank you very much for listening. This has been fun per usual, and... um, we are going to keep calm and carry on. And like I like the same deal for last week. If something comes up and we find out who this is, who the general manager is going to be, it and which it should be this week. I mean, for the love of God, how much longer are you going to wait? Um, I'll make a podcast or I'll do something where I you know can stop and talk about it and analyze it and all that good stuff because I'm sure they're going to announce it and they're going to give some statements and context to it. So I want to talk about all that. But in the meantime, hope you can enjoy this one. It's a longer one. I know I'm sorry, but that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. So that is all for me until next time. Let's hope we get some news. I'm tired of being patient.